from the uh, Burgundy Bibles in front of you, which is uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 1. Romans chapter 3. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true, and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Thank you so much that you speak to us through your words. Um, Father, we pray that you would indeed do that this morning. Uh, as I speak, please speak to all of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to start with a video. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, Every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares? No one's watching. We were watching. Surprise. <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. 
Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. Um, interesting idea. That's from a, a TV show on Netflix called The Good Place. Um, I was watching that a few weeks ago. Um, it's interesting, but it's not right. Uh, there is life after death. There is a, a time coming when we will face judgment for how we've lived. And we'll either spend forever in in heaven or forever in hell. Uh, but with God, his standard isn't some complicated uh, system like the one that we just saw, uh, of all the positive and negative things we've said and done. Um, actually, his standard is 100% obedience to his law. Uh, if you do that, then entry into the good place entry into a future eternally with God is assured. And so you can stand rightly before him. We call that righteousness, a word I'll be using a lot this morning. But mark up just even the once, then we'll have no chance, no right standing in ourselves before God. And we call that unrighteousness, another word I may be using quite a bit this morning. Well, in these verses read for us in Romans chapter 3, Paul is concluding uh, an argument from chapter 2 that uh, you were looking at last week. Uh, And he was talking about Jews uh, and their reliance on the law, uh, how they boasted in their keeping of it. Uh, And the law of God, it is the standard which God has for his people to keep and to completely obey. However, there's a problem for Jewish people who try to live in obedience to the law of God, and that was that they just couldn't. However much they boasted in their best efforts, they couldn't do it. And if you break the law, I think we'd agree that you deserve punishment. And who better is that to judge than God, the lawgiver himself? And so we're going to see three things this morning. They're on the back of your service orders. They'll appear on the screen as well. Uh, The first is God, the faithful judge in verses one through to eight. God, the faithful judge. As Paul ends his argument, we see a kind of Q&A session that he has with himself. Uh, Arguments that he expects his fellow Jews, Paul, Paul is a Jew himself, um, to come up with, given all he's been teaching before. So we're going to go through them uh, briefly this morning. And the first is in verses 1 and 2. Are, are there any any privileges in being a Jew? He says this, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Uh, after all, Paul seems to have said some harsh things about them. However, he does say there is an advantage, and it's there in verse 2. Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. They've been entrusted by the great God of heaven with his very words. And that is a great advantage that they have. Uh, And so they have before them the the law of God, which I've been talking about, his standards for uh, his people to live by. 
They, they also have the promises of God, which he first gave to, to Abraham, who he made a covenant with, a kind of a binding agreement that he would bless them with numerous descendants. He, he would give his people a land to call their own and blessing from God. And as a result of those promises God made, um, the Jewish nation began. And for us now, in having the complete word of God before us, we, we have a great advantage over those that don't. Even just, just being here this morning and looking at it. Uh, and maybe you're like me and you, you may have grown up in a Christian family, grown up going to church and being taught the Bible, the very words of God. What an advantage that we have. But does that make us any better than those that, that don't have that? We'll stay listening for the answer later. So are there any privileges in being a Jew? Yes, they have the words of God. The next question Paul seems to be asking is, if God's people are unfaithful to his words, what um, does that mean that he is? That's a big question. Uh, when we think of those promises given and the, and the laws he gave to his people, his people weren't faithful in keeping them. That he, they weren't faithful in following him as they should have done. But what about God? Uh, has he then been unfaithful? Um, have a look in verse 3. And four, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. Paul is saying God has been faithful to his words. It's like we're walking a massive tightrope with the person who is the best tightrope walker ever leading us. And he is never going to fall off. And yet we're struggling to stay on and keep our balance and we wobble about and even fall off. But God is the one who perfectly keeps his part of what he says, even though his people wobble and slip about. And so, verse 4 continues to say that God is proved right when he speaks and prevails when he judges. God is faithful to his words. The next question Paul seems to be asking is, is God right to judge us? Is God right to judge us? Well, if we believe that evil rightly deserves God's judgment, that means um, that it deserves judgment. Uh, and so is God right to judge? Verse 6. Uh, verse 5, um, it says this, God is unjust, is God unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Certainly not, verse 6. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? God is right to judge sin. Uh, and God's judgment brings out more of his character. It proves him to, to be a, a faithful, just 
judge. The fourth question that Paul seems to ask is, so if our sin, if when we sin that, and that deserves judgment, if God looks upon us uh, like that, um, is it better for us to go about sinning as we please? If it makes God look good as judge of sin. That seems to be what Paul is saying in verse 7. Have a look with me. Someone might argue if my falsehood answered, enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned, judged as a sinner? So do we have a free pass to go about sinning as we please? Do, do these verses mean we can now become a serial liar? Does it mean it's okay to, to take our, our rage out on someone? Does it mean it's okay to go and steal? Well, no. Verse 8 says this. Why not say, as some slanderously claim, that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. But Paul is saying, if we are saying it's okay to sin, knowing that it deserves the judgment of God, and yet makes God look better, we're saying it's okay. God gets the glory for our sin. But if we ever say it's okay to sin, perhaps because we know God is going to forgive us, then we're not seeing sin as it really is. God sees something sin as something serious and worth judging and so it's not something we should be playing around with and so we need to take it seriously not lightly and see it as God sees it so God is faithful to his words his promises are sure and his law is good and he is right when he judges and he is glorified for being a just judge, but no excuse for us to go about sinning as we please. The second thing that we see is God's verdict on us all. God's verdict on us all. Imagine right now you're sitting in a court. The questioning has happened The evidence has been given, the jury has spoken, and now the judge has to make a decision. It is whether you are guilty or not of breaking the law of God. If you are, then the sentence is judgment forever. And if you are not, then it's life forever with this God in his new creation. That the verdict on the human race is important for us all to hear. It's important for us to see how God views us, how we stand before him. Have a look in verse 9, what Paul says. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Jew and Gentile are both under sin. However much we might try and please God, it doesn't matter what we do. We're under the power of sin. So if you're like me and you've grown up going to church, being taught the Bible well, 
Or or if this is one of the first times you've ever stepped into a church, God's verdict is the same. And it's there in verse 10, very clearly. There is no one righteous, not even one. No one righteous, not even one. None of us before God can stand rightly before him who's completely righteous, completely perfect, completely just. So if Paul saying no one is righteous, not even one, if that's not enough to convince you of your sinfulness, we, we see this, uh, how this is uh, played out in, in the verses following. Uh, and we see, first of all, uh, how our minds are affected by this uh, unrighteousness. That there is no one who understands. We don't naturally understand who God is. Our mind, it's like our minds are darkened and closed to seeing the truth of who God is. But when you're in a dark place, in a, in a dark room maybe, and you're trying to, trying to kind of find your way around, it can be difficult. Uh, and we won't see things that we might stumble over us on the floor. But, but when the light switch is switched on, we can suddenly see clearly again. And it's like that naturally for all of us with God. We are darkened to the truth of who God is. We don't grasp who he really is, that he, he's the creator of all around of us. Even seeing that he exists. And this is caused by our sinful self-centeredness, thinking that the world revolves, revolves around us, rather than there being a great God of heaven in control of all things. Secondly, uh, our motives. There is no one who seeks God. We're we're not going to go and seek God if we don't understand who God is. It it would be like if I was invited to see the Queen of England. But I didn't understand who she is. I I didn't understand how she was such a a great person in this country, such a powerful person. Uh, And I was like, no, I don't want to see her. I don't understand who she is, why, why bother? This doesn't seem very important. But if I understand who she is, then maybe I will go and seek her uh, after that invitation. And it's like that with, our, with God. Next are our wills, what we, we want to do. Verse 12, all have turned away, together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. All have turned away. God wanted his people to, to follow him uh, and obey his law. And yet, time and time again in the Old Testament, as we see God's people living, we see how they, they do turn away so much. Uh, and there's a, a prophet in, in the Old Testament called Isaiah. Uh, and he says this, all like sheep have gone astray. He, he calls us sheep. Going astray. Sheep are very good at kind of following one another. Uh, and if they, they keep going, they, they can get lost so easily. They're not the, the cleverest of animals. Um, Isaiah says we're like that. We, we don't understand or seek after God, and so we don't follow his ways, and so we turn away from him. We go the way we want, follow unrighteousness rather than righteousness. 
And so as people who don't understand, seek or follow God, we have to say that there is no one who truly does good, as it says there in verse 12. I wonder what would happen if we went through all our lives trying to be good all the time. We may do some good, but more often than not, we'll fail and we could be despairing. It's like when someone tries to go on a diet. They will try to be extra good with what they eat. I can't say I've ever tried, but I've seen a few people who have. Um, and for a while, they, they might be pretty good. But then there's the lure of cake, the desire for sweets, the, the longing for a nice juicy bit of bacon calls them. And the temptation becomes so strong that they just have to give in and they're powerless to resist. It would be like that if we were trying to be good all the time. We just can't. The lure of sin comes and draws us in. And so as we, uh, and as we realize that there's something we've done wrong and, and then we'll try and cover it up maybe with a lie and it will just go worse and worse. There is no one righteous, not even one. Next, we, we see in our words how we're unrighteous. Verse 13, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. The, the way we use our words, it, it's like we dig a grave where, where rotting bodies are going inside and it's not a very pleasant picture at all. And yet it's true for all those times we, we lie, all those times we say something unkind, something that's going to tear someone down rather than build them up. That think about how words that can so easily destroy our relationship. Saying, you, you never listen to me. Or, or that thing you do, it's so annoying, I can't stand it. Or, or um, you just don't understand me. And in them, figuratively speaking, we dig those graves and that friend, that, that spouse, that family member goes in and that relationship may even become dead. We may even ne- never even say another word to them again. There is no one righteous, not even one. What about our relationships with other people? Verse 15, their feet are swift, drud, uh, swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. So often we may be quick to shed blood in our relationships, maybe not literally, but it will hurt people. And those relationships may, may not always be very peaceful. All the times that we hurt those, we know. Maybe when we get angry with others and made to feel out of control. Or maybe we're, we're constantly lying all the time. Our relationships may not be peaceful all the time. Because the reality is we ourselves aren't at peace. I, I look back to a time with one of my close friends where when something happened that we, we, we never, we, we don't ever want to speak to each other about again. And my motives were wrong and I was quick to hurt that person. Causing much embarrassment and pain. There is no one righteous, not even one. And all these things, it is... It's, 
pretty much saying the same thing. That our relationship with God is broken. Verse, verse 18, that should say on the screen. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the problem. That's why we no one is righteous, not even one. That's why we're such broken, ruined, sinful people. That's why Paul can say there is no one righteous, not even one. Our relationship to God is broken. We, we don't fear him, which is to, to view him rightly as the awesome God of heaven. We don't believe him. We don't want to follow his ways. We don't want to love him. And this is all rather depressing. And if we end it here, then we're going to go away feeling pretty depressed. But you don't need to because there is good news. And we see it in our next point. Thirdly and finally, the purpose of the law of God. So God's words that he has entrusted to the Jewish people, his law, all it does is show how powerless we are to keep them. So what on earth is the point? Why is Paul at such pains to show us how broken and messed up we are? Well, that's the purpose of the law. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. The law leaves the whole world accountable to God, leaves the whole world guilty before him who is the faithful judge. It shows how none of us can meet the standards which God requires. A hundred percent obedience to his law. And so verse 20 says this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. That's what the law does. It shows us our sin. Through it, we become conscious of it. And so on that day of judgment, when we'll stand before God, there is nothing we can say in our defense to make God say welcome to heaven. That there, there is nothing we can do or say that will make him happy. That there were times when I was younger where I used to really fear giving my parents school reports. They were only on the odd occasion. Um, because most of the time I thought I was a pretty good boy. Um, but there was the odd term where, where I'd do something which I thought was pretty bad. And I was ever so worried it might be in that school report. And so I would give it to them and I would be fearful, not thinking I could rightly stand before them. Before God, it's like that. We can't stand rightly before him. This morning, as we've looked through these verses, you may well have become aware of that. You may have become conscious that you are sinful and deserve the just judgment of God. But also this morning, I want to tell you that there is good news. It's found in verses down from here. Uh, We'll look at it in more detail in a few weeks' time, but let's, let's have a... A look now. Verse 22. 
there is righteousness. And this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is righteousness to be found. It is not by us obeying the law of God. We've seen that the purpose of that is to make us conscious of sin. It's not by us doing anything good because there is no one righteous. And so we need to look away from ourselves and instead to Jesus, who is God, who came to earth in human form, who who did what no other human being has done and live a life completely perfect, completely righteous. He did what God required, 100% obedience to the law of God. And verse 25 and 26, we see the cross. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Other cross. Jesus has shed his blood. He has faced the judgment for our sin from his father, the faithful judge. And he did that so that you don't have to. It's, it's like in the court as the judge is about to raise the hammer and pronounce you guilty and sentence you to life forever experiencing God's judgment Jesus can stand up and say I have lived righteously I have followed God completely I have lived a completely good life in all the words I have said nothing wrong no unkind word no lies has come from my mouth in all my actions I have been completely righteous completely loving and I have feared God and so I have died that you might live I have faced the judgment for your sins so that you don't have to and so that you can go through. That's what Jesus has done. And so in the words of the old hymn writer Charles Wesley, we can say, uh, no condemnation now we dread. Jesus and all in him is ours, alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. That is good news. And so if you're not already, you need to be looking to Jesus to save you. Believe that he has done it for you and commit to living your life following him rather than trying to do it yourself. Because Jesus is our only hope in life and in death. Without him, we head for that just eternal judgment of God. With him, there's life in that good place, in the new creation, life forever with him, if we're trusting him to save us. So keep looking to him. Keep believing in him. We have the certainty of knowing where we're going because of him. Uh, And maybe this morning you're a Christian here and you're really struggling with a particular sin. Maybe you're just in despair How can God forgive me? I just keep sinning. Yet we can look to Jesus as a saviour. 
We can trust that he has done it for us because we ourselves are unrighteous. So keep looking to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you that in it we see how we stand before you, but also in it we see wonderful good news that we have a Savior who's done it for us. Thank you for him. Help us to trust in him to save us and not in ourselves. Amen.